Hi everybody, JP here just to say a quick Happy Thanksgiving from us and our families to you and yours. We are so grateful for all of you who listen to us rambling each week, driving our numbers higher and higher than they've ever been. We are right on the heels of 300,000 listens coming up here soon, and none of this is possible without you, our listeners. So thank you so much, and please trust that we will always be here putting out quality content for all of you. A special hello and happy Thanksgiving to any of you who, like myself, are again in the hospital on duty today for Thanksgiving so that our colleagues can be at home with their families and our patients still have someone to take care of them. I'm in the hospital today and my heart goes out to all of you who are as well away from your own families. And then finally, a quick PSA for all the chefs out there, please don't baste your turkeys. You open the oven, you mess around in there, you let out more moisture than you think you're getting back with the basting, and in fact, you just lose that nice crispy skin. Believe me, just leave things alone. It's a great lesson of neurosurgery that so often, less is more. And as always, I remind you, my recommendation stands. Spatchcock your birds. Takes a three-hour cooking process down to 40 minutes. Trust me, you will be amazed at how moist that meat comes out of the oven. And besides, it's a really fun process to do the prep work. If you're a surgeon, you will enjoy it. With that, happy Thanksgiving. Let's get to the show. This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. We're here with another installment in our series of residency spotlights for this year's virtual interview season. We are very honored to be joined today by Dr. Christina Notoriani, the Program Director at LSU Shreveport. Dr. Notoriani, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Of course, we're glad to have you here to give the applicants an inside look into the program there. Um, Why don't we kick off by having you introduce yourself to the listeners and talk a bit about your role in the program and and what Shreveport looks like from the inside. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, So I'm Christina Toriani, and uh, I've been in Shreveport for quite a while now. I actually trained here and um, left for a year and did my fellowship in pediatric neurosurgery up in Memphis. Uh, and then rejoined as the faculty back in 2010. So uh, currently I'm a professor in neurosurgery. I am the director of pediatric neurosurgery and the residency program director. Um, Shreveport's a a great place to be. It's a really fun uh, community to live in. And uh, I can't say it enough, but I really am so proud of our residency program and all it has to offer for our residents and training. Christina, tell us a little bit about Shreveport. Uh, Most people haven't been there. They don't know what it's like. What's the feel of the city? What's your draw in terms of patients? I've been there before. It's not a small place, right? Yeah, it's it's not as small as people think. So we're up in the northwest corner of Louisiana. We are about three hours from Dallas. So that kind of helps people locate us. Um, And we are a city of about 250, 300,000. However, our catchment area Um, extends much, much wider than that. So we capture patients all across Northwest Louisiana, all the way over to Mississippi, uh, all the way down to central Louisiana, up into South Arkansas, and then over into East Texas as well. So we have a much larger catchment area, um, even though we're kind of a smaller community. 
Yeah, I wonder if you could talk a bit about the program as it's structured there. Of course, the, the details of the rotations and all that will be covered with your applicants when they interview virtually, but maybe in, in broad strokes, you can talk about what the rotations look like, how many residents you have around, what the hospital's like. Yeah, sure. Uh, so we have um, two residents a year, so 14 total. We currently have uh, nine full-time faculty members. And uh, our primary site is Ashner LSU Hospital, which is actually attached to the medical school. Uh, that is a level one trauma center, uh, primary stroke center, level four epilepsy center. Um, and then the additional campus to Ashner is St. Mary's campus, which was added back in 2020. We have our full outpatient clinic out there. Uh, there's an outpatient surgery center, as well as all of our pediatric services, PICU, NICU, OB services are out there as well from the inpatient side. Um, then our residents also rotate in their third year out to the VA uh, and spend some time there learning some kind of general spine and peripheral nerve surgery, working one-on-one -on -one with the um, attending faculty. And our other campus is Willis-Knighton, which is a private hospital system here in town. There's four campuses, and our residents spend some time with all of our faculty out at one of the one or two of the Willis-Knighton campuses um, in, in the, you know, kind of a more of a private practice model. Um, and then finally, we have Shriners Hospital, which is right next door to us, uh, is a children's hospital. It's mostly outpatient surgery. Uh, Dr. Sin does some deformity surgery for scoliosis here, and I run a spasticity clinic there. So our residents kind of get a wide breadth of exposure in terms of different areas of neurosurgery and different practice models and things like that. Um, they spend you know, a lot of their time at the primary site. But again, in their third year, they rotate to St. Mary's and do pediatrics. They do outpatient spine. Um, and then in um, their fourth year, they'll rotate through Willis-Knighton, taking home call. Uh, and then their chief year is spent main, back at the main campus. Yeah, you know, I know Anthony Sin pretty well, and I was always amazed at how much surgery he does. I, I think he has one of the few practices in neurosurgery where he treats a lot of adolescent scoliosis. Is that correct? That's right. He does a lot of both adult and pediatric deformity surgery. Uh, so he's our primary deformity surgeon. Yeah, I think that makes your program really unique. I mean, there are very few places where I think residents can get exposure to that kind of spine surgery. Yeah, it's, it's been great. Our residents have really enjoyed that. Um, they have the opportunity um, in their fifth year, uh, which is kind of their research elective time. If they would like to do some focused time with Dr. Sin and Spine, we, we can let them do something like that and work on some research. Um, or they can do, you know, bench lab research over in the school, uh, working up an animal lab or something like that, um, or kind of focus where they want to, you know, really kind of want to direct their career. So we, we give them a lot of flexibility in that fifth year. Um, if they decide they really want to do an enfolded fellowship, then we will kind of modify their rotation schedule to work towards doing their enfolded fellowship in their PGY-7 year and then doing their chief year in their PGY-6 year. So we try to really work with our residents. Um, I always tell people when they come and interview, like, it's it's your life. It's, it's your career down the road. So, you know, we don't try to force you into a, a pigeonhole. Um, you know, our residents who graduate here have a mix of both academic and private practice. So some go and do fellowships and join academic neurosurgery. Some have gone on fellowships and, and gone into private practice, and some have gone just straight into private practice. We have a real, a real nice blend, and we just want to really, you know, foster the development of each resident in a personal way and help them, you know, develop the best career they can have. You know, that's great to hear, and I, I wonder if uh, in that light you could talk a bit about the residents you have there. What are the personalities like, and what's the culture like among the group? So I really love our residents. I think they're great. Um, 
They are so unique and fun. Uh, they really get along well with each other. They all have really a good work ethic. They work well as a team. They help each other out. It's not unusual to be, you know, scrubbed in with one resident, have another one come in and say, hey, you know, I'll be waiting for you so we can, you know, head out in a few minutes or come in and help close. So they have a really, they've bonded really well. Um, they, uh, I'm sure they make fun of all of us and tease us, but <laughs> But, you know, it's really like a small family, a small extended family for us. And the nice thing about Shreveport is, you know, we get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with our residents. So we really get to know them on a personal level. And, um, and you know, we just, we really enjoy all of our time with them. They join, enjoy their time with each other. And so we really, um, you know, we look for those people who can come in and, you know, kind of join our team and join our family and work hard and, and, uh, and have a good time doing it. Well, Christina, I've been to Shreveport to see your program. I think it's amazing. Um, you don't have to sell me on it. Um, <laughs> Thanks. You know, Anil Nanda uh, introduced us and, and I came out and visited once and I was yeah. really blown away. Great place. Yeah, but would you say, are there any negatives, or any kind of gaps, anything you would say you'd want to improve on at that program, at your program? Oh, sure. I mean, I think I think every program has room for improvement. The things that stand out for me is um, we have always lacked a little bit in functional. However, we just hired Dr. Jamie Toms, who started uh, in August or September of this year, and he's going to he's a functional uh, trained neurosurgeon. So he's going to start a, uh, kind of building up our functional program. I'd say that and, and epilepsy. And those are the two areas that he's going to focus on. Um, we do obviously some peripheral nerve, the kind of general peripheral nerve, but we're not doing huge peripheral nerve dissections or brachial plexus explorations. But those are the two areas that really, for me, stand out as areas for us to improve. And I think over the next few years with Dr. Toms and him building up his own lab and then the functional program, we, you know, that'll be significantly stronger and, and great for our residents. Well, that's phenomenal to have that to look forward to. Um, so thinking about those next few years and having talked about the program and the people in it, put yourself, if you can, in the, in the shoes of an applicant in the field this year. What kind of people would you encourage to take a look at Shreveport? Uh, what kind of person is the ideal candidate when you look out at the field? Yeah, I think, you know, the... <laughs> You look at all the neurosurgery applicants, and I mean, they're all amazing. They're amazingly smart. Their scores are wonderful. They've got all got good letters, so it can get really hard to weed out. But I think someone who wants to come to Shreveport um, should understand that we, you know, we are a pretty heavy clinical-based program. Um, you are going to be very well trained, but it is busy. Um, so we want someone who's got that work ethic, who um, is coachable, uh, who has a good attitude to things, and um, you know is friendly. We, we're in the South and people are really friendly down here. And sometimes people have a hard time adjusting to that, but um, you know, someone who can be friendly and reach out. And um, for me, I, I like to know someone who recognizes their limitations and asks for help um, and isn't afraid to, because I think that's how you learn. And, um, and just really, again, the personality is, is really, you know, what we look for on an interview is, is how are you going to fit, fit in with us? Um, you know, do you have that ability to kind of mesh with us? And, you know, do you, do we think we can train you well? Um, so, you know, that's what I'm looking for when I, when I meet applicants and talk with applicants, I want to hear that excitement, see that motivation and, and see that they can, that they have, you know, unique attributes and like to do things outside of neurosurgery that, that make them unique and special. Well said. Well, Dr. Notoriani, we really appreciate your time coming on the show today and sharing yeah, with yeah, the thanks. applicants in the field an inside look into neurosurgery there at LSU Shreveport. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate it.
Welcome to another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're delighted to be joined by Dr. Chris Kellner, who's Associate PD at Mount Sinai. Dr. Kellner, welcome to the podcast. Hey everybody, thanks for having me. So you're Associate PD at Mount Sinai, which is of course based in New York City and the environment of New York is very different in that not only, you know, is it is it very busy, but it also has lots of uh, other factors that go into play in terms of a neurosurgery residency program. Specifically, one of these is, you know, entrepreneurship. So can you talk to us a little bit about the mentorship that your program has in terms of not only surgical and clinical mentorship, but also entrepreneurial mentorship and other resources available to residents? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. I think uh, entrepreneurialism is uh, something that medical students and residents are interested in these days and are also getting into. Um, and it's certainly something that faculty are getting into and residents. And so um, we emphasize uh, through mentorship, um, preparing residents uh, and medical students to be entrepreneurs. And um, how we do that is we try to engage residents and um, allow them to develop their ideas. Specifically, we have a program called the Sinai Biodesign Program. And this is an institution-wide program that is housed within neurosurgery that has engineers and uh, patent lawyers and uh, individuals who work with people who have ideas, whether they're faculty, residents, or students, um, to develop uh, a white paper for that idea, then a patent for that idea, than a plan to bring that idea to market eventually. And they've done this successfully with uh, multiple projects so far, um, and it's, it's going pretty well. So that program uh, provides a framework for a resident to get involved in entrepreneurship and also device development. Um, and we now have faculty who have, have gone through this process um, and are, have been successful. And so that kind of mentorship is available, and I think that really differentiates Mount Sinai from many programs. Awesome. That's great. And you know, of course, you're no stranger to neurosurgery in New York. You went to med school in you know, at Columbia. You trained at Columbia for residency. How does uh, your experience at Mount Sinai and how does the program at Mount Sinai differ from all the other New York programs? Yeah, great question. It is a very neurosurgically busy area. You know, you, you can find uh, numerous programs and you, you could live in the same place and attend any of many programs. Um, but I think that's also an exciting component of being part of New York City. Um, we're all we're all friends and we have New York neurosurgical societies and meetings and um, there's a lot of good collegial interaction. Um, I think that Mount Sinai differentiates itself in one by its very large volume. We have uh, seven hospitals in the system uh, and then a number of satellite hospitals who basically always send patients to Mount Sinai. And so our volume is very high and, and uncharacteristically high for such a competitive environment. And I think when you're a resident trying to get your reps in, one of the main factors you want to look at is, is what is the volume of that program? And our residents, uh, unfortunately, have to leave cases uncovered because there are too many cases for our current um, resident contingency to cover. So we have PAs covering cases that residents can't cover on a daily basis. So in terms of the uh, number of hospitals that your residents rotate at, how does that translate to not only the operative experience for your residents, but also the, the call uh, burden and the call volume for your junior residents? And how early do you find that your junior residents get into the OR uh, to, to cover these cases? Yeah, our goal is to have residents engaging and managing their own cases right from day one. And so the interns have their own cases that they're covering. 
Um, we have three main hospitals that residents rotate at. And the advantage of the healthcare system is that the healthcare system funnels the complex cases to those hospitals. And each hospital kind of has its own focus. So we've got Mount Sinai Hospital uh, doing complex vascular and complex tumor cases as well as spine cases. And then we've got Mount Sinai West doing vascular cases such as minimally invasive ICH evacuation, which I'm interested in, um, and neuromodulation and functional, as well as uh, spine and tumor. Uh, and then we've got Elmhurst, which is uh, a trauma hospital and a community hospital in Queens uh, with a very high trauma volume, uh, and then therefore the spine and uh, cranial associated with that. So it's an interesting mix uh, where each hospital has a different set of procedures that are the most common procedures there. Um, I think that that also gives residents the opportunity to be a leader in a healthcare in their hospital from an early age. So the PGY-5s are chiefs at Mount Sinai West. PGY-6s are chiefs at Elmhurst and the PGY-7s are chiefs at Mount Sinai Hospital. So you essentially are a chief running your service uh, from earlier in your residency. Um, and then regarding juniors getting in the rooms and, and taking call, um, we have done our best to set up a call system that absolutely minimizes uh, in-house overnight call for residents. Um, and the way we do that is we have a resident PA system um, and supplemented by pre-residency fellows. Um, and with the combination of this support, we're able to decrease the call burden for PGY 1s, 2s, 3s. That's great. And I know another question that a lot of applicants uh, when I was going through the uh, cycle had was, are residents typically, co typically covering all of these hospitals at the same time? Or are they more focused at one hospital for any given rotation and then they alternate that way? Yeah, you're focused at one hospital for your rotation. So you're not covering you know, Elmhurst and Mount Sinai Hospital. As a chief, you're just covering your one hospital. Um, the attendings do cover all the different hospitals, though, and that kind of makes it fun where I'll get to interact with, you know, one set of residents will be the residents I know that I'm going to deal with at one hospital, and then I'll go directly from that to another case at another hospital. Um, so it's it's focused for the residents, and they, they get to focus on developing their relationship with the team at one hospital and, and the patients at that one hospital. That's great. And I know Mount Sinai is a very well-funded institution. So uh, can you talk to us a little bit about the kind of research that your residents are able to participate in? And is there any dedicated research time during residency? Or is this something that you guys encourage uh, to be yeah. done all seven years? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we acknowledge that not every resident is going to want to do a year of dedicated research. So we have a dedicated elect, uh, elective year. That often is research, and that can be basic science research. Um, it can also, however, be uh, getting a public health degree, as one resident recently did. It can be uh, engaging in a global neuro neurosurgery experience, as one resident just recently did. It can even be uh, doing an entrepreneurial activity. Uh, Kurt Yeager spent a year with Sinai Biodesign and developed a, uh, a cerebral vascular device. Um, or it could be uh, working, for, working for a company completely outside of neurosurgery. Our recent graduate, Eric Overman, spent uh, more than a year at Google and um, so really, we allow you to tailor your experience for what you think is going to maximize your marketability as a neurosurgeon and, and uh, enhance your career. So if you're doing research, however, there are great opportunities. And this is one of our main focuses is mentoring residents who are interested in basic science and translational research 
and we have numerous faculty who are NIH funded and uh, run their own labs. Residents are always welcome to get into those labs. However, we acknowledge that they might want to do something that our neurosurgeons aren't doing. And so they are introduced to any of the other faculty in the institution who are engaged in research. And the Friedman Brain Institute, which is the neuroscience department at Mount Sinai, is actually the most well-funded neuroscience department in the country. So there are plenty of, uh, of research opportunities. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And before we wrap up, I did want to ask one other question. I don't think we have to convince any of our applicants about the benefits of living in New York City. Obviously, it's such a great place and the center of the world for a lot of things. Uh, can you talk to us a little, little bit about the resident camaraderie that your residents have and what the residents do outside of the hospital and how livable New York is on a resident salary uh, yeah. in terms of uh, in terms of where they live and you know sort of what part of the city they live in and the kind of houses or apartments that they have? Yeah, they basically all have apartments near um, either Mount Sinai Hospital or Mount Sinai West. Um, there is some resident housing that's that's available to residents if they want to want to take it in. Uh, I know numerous residents do do that for a few years uh, before they kind of figure out where they want to live and what kind of apartment they want to live in. They do make it work on a resident salary. Uh, when I was a resident, I do remember the, getting a lot less than current residents do get. Um, I think that the current salaries are competitive, um, and they are also competitive even within, you know, within the country. As a resident, if you look at the New York salaries, there there is an increase uh, over the average um, to compensate a little bit for the increased cost of living in New York City. Um, there's plenty to do, maybe too much to do. Uh, there's always something open, always a place to go, you know, always a place to get food or, or show to see or something like that. Um, some of the residents, uh, there's a lot of camaraderie. They uh, rock climb together. Um, they do activities. Uh, there's some some bars near the each of the hospitals that they go to. Um, and we also try to sponsor resident events. Um, we took residents on a boat trip around the island uh, recently, and um, we try to, you know, believe it or not, really really consider what resident wellness. And um, one thing we do for that is we've got a uh, elite athlete coach come in. So instead of doing uh, kind of wellness activities that you might think of would be standard, you know, icebreakers or talking about uh, how you're feeling and stuff like that, we've got a performance uh, optimization uh, performance coach uh, who often coaches elite athletes and he um, comes in and meets with the residents individually and also as a group uh, and tries to talk about uh, the lessons he's learned in, in coaching elite athletes who have a lot on their plate and a lot of challenges and stressful uh, performance uh, and carrying those lessons over to how to optimize your performance as a neurosurgery resident when you've got family obligations and work obligations and, and stressful situations. So we're very focused on wellness and I think the residents uh, appreciate that and, and we see that come out in their camaraderie and performance. Of course, it's all really important. And I'm sure with the elite performance coach, uh, your residents are a lot more in shape than we are. So uh, <laughs> thank you again, Dr. Kellner, for your yeah. time. Uh, and uh, I'm sure our listeners enjoyed hearing about Mount Sinai from you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we have another episode in our residency spotlights for the 2021-22 interview season. I am over the moon to be sitting with my newly minted program director, Dr. Ricardo Fontes, who recently assumed the role from Dr. Vince Trinellis here at Rush. Um, so first of all, congratulations. 
Well, thank you. If you can consider it something to be congratulated yeah. for, no, I know it's it a lot of new it work. Is. It's a lot more work and a lot more paperwork than I was used to, but uh, it is, and uh, those are some big shoes to fill. Of course. With uh, with Dr. Trinell is uh, stepping down from this role, so uh, I'm excited about it. I'm trying my best, and uh, I have a lot to learn about the whole process, because you cannot imagine the amount of paperwork that's involved. Right, and just in time for interviews. And just in time for <laughs> interviews, so yes, so... It's uh, it's troubling. I mean, it's uh, it's all about you know, uh, uh, eras uh, in RMP, uh, ACGME, uh, the like the website, like all the websites to report duty hours, cases. It's it's overwhelming. It's quite a bit. Right. Well, um, as our listeners know, you've been on the show before talking about your career pathway, training in Brazil, coming to the states, training again here at Rush. So, as the new program director, you're perhaps in a unique position to talk to the applicants this year about what exactly Rush's program is like. They all hear me ranting on this show every week, but I'm just one very small part of the program. Um, maybe from a bird's eye view as someone who's been through it and now is helping organize it, talk to the people applying this year about what Rush is really like. Right. So uh, I think um, I think that's, you know, I, 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 am, I still consider myself in the beginning of my neurosurgical career. I'm sort of beginning to mid midpoint and uh, you know I think what I that you're exactly right GP when you say you know that, that's perhaps the biggest uh, advantage I have over other um, other people to be pro directors that I was a fellow a resident and have been an attending here for for seven years so I get the perspective right so mm. I uh, I think I've watched this program grow. Uh, when I started here in 2009, we were coming out of a transition. Uh, um, Rush was growing. We were a one-to-one program as far as residents were concerned. Then we became a two-a-year, two-three-two as we're now, and we have the numbers to eventually apply to three-a-year. In fact, we're in the process of doing so. So I've been uh, I've been really proud to be part of it. And, um, you know, I think the, the main thing is we're, we're super proud of the surgical training our residents get here, okay? We're, we're very proud. I'm very proud of the culture. I'm very proud of the surgical training. Um, one thing that I don't know came up on the other podcast is that uh, I think that um, research is an integral part of any residency or should be an integral part of our re- any residency. And I have a PhD myself. But research is so important. It's so important. I think that it, if it's going to be the, the main aim of your of you, any time you spend, then you should really be getting a PhD. I think residency, and I think that reflects sort of the culture we have here at Rush, is to learn how to be a safe and effective neurosurgeon. So that goes more through residency than through research. More through surgery. And surgical apprenticeship, the whole process that uh, the different stages you go through, then sort of, you know, just going out and, and, and focusing on, on, on research. So we, we have a big research focus. Uh, it has its time. It has its place in our residency. Uh, we're very much about it. But uh, I think the number one thing is the surgical apprenticeship model and uh, learning how to become a safe and effective neurosurgeon, how taking good care of patients and uh, how not getting, how not to get in, how to not get in trouble. And that's what I really like about this surgical program. Right. You know, hearing you talk about how 
there's a role and a place for research if the resident's interested in it. Hearing you talk about the transition and the changes that Russia has gone through that you've seen in your time here, it really makes me think about, and you know, it's only my third year, but I feel like every year it's a new program. And I don't mean that in a bad way, like there's inconstancy here and everything's in flux. I mean that every year we have a new complement of residents. We have new combinations of those people. And a lot of the residents really seem to make it their own residency based on what their interests are. Maybe you could talk a little bit about the flexibility we have in our schedule and the time we have built in for each of us to really pursue the things that we want to pursue within that tent of excellent surgical training. Right. I think that goes to to the culture that was instilled here by Dr. Byrne. And the thing is, Rush has always been a program where there, there was some amount of leeway afforded by the program and our, our, our societies that guide the training process of neurosurgeons. So it's not like this, uh, like there are some, you know, the, you, you could come here, you've always been able to come here and say, listen, Ricardo, my goal is to um, become a private practice surgeon. Nobody would look down on you for that, and uh, we would tailor the program sort of to, to satisfy those goals. We won't turn your picture upside down on no. the wall. <laughs> I think you're going to have to take that, <laughs> that out, out, out of your podcast. But it's like, uh, like where, where I trained before in Brazil. Let's talk about Brazil. But, uh, you know, everybody had to get a Ph.D., you have right. to go, and if you're going to stay in the, in the, at the university, you have to go get a PhD, and you have people who are studying the mitochondria of the Blue Mongolian Gerbil, and uh, it, it was part of your training. Or you had people who you know, were spent days and nights looking at the EEG of, of rats, and mm. uh, I mean, God bless them, that uh, you had people who, who got uh, uh, nature publications out of it. But the bottom line is, could these people save a patient? Could these people safely take a patient to surgery? Would you let them operate on your mom, your dad, your son? And so, like I said, I, 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 I tortured enough lab animals in my, in my career as a, as a PhD student, or before that, because I got smarter and did my PhD with cadavers that allow for a lot more flexibility. And I respect that so much that I think that it deserves its own protected time, right? If you're mm. going to go and you want to get that serious research done, that's one thing. But I think the whole cost of the residency, and you go and you look how the the residency training model evolved, like the word residency, it focuses a lot on being there integrally to to become a good surgeon, or how and how to care for patients. So um, we we can tailor the program somewhat. Now there, is, um, there are some restrictions as to how much you can do, uh, external rotations. Uh, you know, we'd love to, to, to be able to do everything, but uh, there are some guidelines on how much credit you can get. Where do you get that credit from? So I get a lot of, uh, a lot of requests sometimes say, well, you know, program XYZ, residents go to whatever, go to Brazil or somewhere else to, mm. to train. You know, credit is not granted very easily to programs coming up with these new rotations. So there are a number of, uh, of, uh, of, uh, of concerns about that. So it's not easy to get that sort of credit. So we can't just send residents elsewhere. Um, uh, the other thing that I'd like to touch base on the podcast is the concept of enfolded fellowships. Right? Mm. And so uh, if you weren't gonna ask, I'm gonna bring it up already. Because there are a lot of so-called enfolded fellowships these days. Right. And I think that's uh, that's, uh, uh, that's 
perverting the concept of fellowship. You know, I was a fellow. That was my first job here at Rush. And, you know, if you look at how, you know, fellowships are organized, I mean, ideally the fellow should have some amount of planning involved in the decision-making process, right? So the fellow should be somebody who's senior enough to be able to make not only plans, but judgmental mistakes in a controlled environment. Mm. So if you look, there's a very good book called Forgive and Remember that uh, talks about how, the, you know, uh, the, the types of medical errors. And the error that's typical of the trainee is the technical error. And the, tip, the error that's typical of the attending is the judgmental error, which is the planning mistake. Well, mm. the plan was correctly executed, but it was the wrong plan. And ideally, the fellow would start making that sort of transition. Uh, the fellow would also be able to make, you know, good uh, networking in terms of academic connections if you're going to go and do, uh, and do that. And I feel that the enfolded fellowship model does not allow for that. I right. mean, there's no way around it, okay? Time is finite. So a PGY-3 is a PGY-3. A PGY-4 is a PGY-4. It's not a PGY-8. Right. So I feel if you want to be true, and, uh, you know, I don't think that um, anybody who does... And in full, the fellowship is a PGY-4, whatever it is, be it, uh, uh, um, for example, functional neurosurgery, spinal neurosurgery can really represent that you got that advanced level of training when you go out and apply to a job, especially an academic job. So I feel that's something that has to be critical. I think you can have a focus in your residency. I, f I feel that you have to be, um, you can do research in one area. You can spend some elective time doing that. But specifically that term, enfolded fellowship, that has to go away eventually in our specialty. I feel you can get some very specific situations you can get ahead in your training. For example, endovascular, I feel that you can get the preliminary portion of your training done and that can be accommodated. But uh, as far as other specialties, subspecialties, then you have to really spend time as a PGY-8 and not as a PGY-4 or such. Right. So. As someone who was a resident here, now is directing the program, for all the applicants out there who will be applying to the program, interviewing at the program without visiting in person, can you talk a little bit about the crew of residents we currently have? You know, if you look at us all on paper, I don't know how we all fit together, but somehow when you put us all in a room, we do. We all get along very well. I'll say it genuinely as a member of the group, I don't know how I fit in with all these people. But we tend to cohere really well. We laugh a lot. We're very friendly. We're very collegial. We have each other's back. So for the people applying, when you look at the group now that you're running us, what to you makes the ideal Rush resident? What, what to you is someone who you think would fit in with our group? Well, let me ask you something different then. Do you guys hang out outside of here? Yeah. How much? As much as I can, honestly. Okay. Uh, do you guys go to the softball tournament? No. No. Okay, so I'll tell you, from knowing different programs, a lot of programs hang out outside of here much more than you do, all right? And the thing is, I think it goes to show, uh, like we were, I think the, the main thing about the, the culture here is a culture of professionalism and respect. Mm. And that fosters an additional level of relationship. Like you can't hang out with, with your, with your co-residents, but we're not, not necessarily, you know, hugging each other all the time and kumbaya and, you know, no, 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 my family and you guys hang out in my house. None of that happens. Right. right? Because it's, it, it's not artificially created. 
right? So I feel that it's, it's a conscious effort in this place to hire residents who are a good fit to the team, right? So one thing Dr. Nels used to say, and I, I think he didn't say it on your year, he said, you know, we never hire Harvey Cushing at our place. Like, it doesn't matter how much of a genius you are, how many publications you are, but if you're not a team player, mm. you know, we're not really interested. You know, it doesn't matter if you have 10 nature publications. If, you know, we're not convinced that you can get along, then we don't want to change our culture just to accommodate that sort of candidate. And the same goes at every level. So not only resin, but if there's a phenomenal attendee who's looking or interviewing for a job, I mean, we'd rather pass on that if we feel that uh, that culture is going to be compromised. Mm -hmm. Because the culture you see as a resident is the same culture we have at the attending level. You know, there's no yelling in this place, all right? I mean, if there's mm -hmm. no yelling, I I'm going to be sitting in Dr. Burns' office just like you would, okay? <laughs> and, um, you know, there's responsibility, there's accountability. Uh, when mistakes happen, mistakes are discussed, and, and, and that's the end of it. And, then, and so it's, it is a conscious effort. And I feel that's that's one, probably that's one of the things I really like about this place is the culture of respect and and, uh, and that we have over here at Rush. Well said. Well, Dr. Fontes, we got to respect your time as well as that of our listeners. Uh, thank you so much for doing this spotlight and helping the people out there get to know Rush a little bit better than just listening to me every week. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, EP. And good luck to all the applicants and in uh, the in the match this year. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.